to Broads, Books, and Booze. This is your host, Jamie. And Monica. Hello, hello. Hello, friends. Welcome to another exciting episode. Our November pick is Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? It was so weird and wild. <laughs> I mean, so of course, right up my alley, right? I loved it. I, um, I read it very quickly. Uh, I thought it was, um, oh, it's by Philip K. Dick, first of all, and it was published in 1968. Okay, I figured it might have been a little bit on the older side, and I know it was, um, the movie Blade Runner was based off of it, but I hadn't ever seen that movie, so. I haven't either, and I still haven't. I was going to, but I, I haven't yet. It's going to be one of my to-do lists during, uh, Christmas vacation. Ah, like, I watch TV during Christmas vacation a lot, and so I'm just like, yeah, I'll watch Blade Runner then, because yeah. I really enjoyed this book. Yeah, me too. It definitely made you think, that's for sure. It did, and it said that it's uh, set in the San Francisco Bay Area. Mm. So, um, just like a, a general setting, for those who don't know, it's uh, post-World War III, um, it's an apocalypse, all the... It's very hard to come by anything. All resources are very limited. People are very limited. Jobs are limited. And and a lot of the population now lives on Mars. Yeah, it's like pe- the people are fleeing the planet, literally. Like, they're going. And then those that stay have to be uh, tested to see if they're viable humans still. <laughs> to be able to breed and have things yeah it's very strange and they um part of the incentive to get people to go to mars is everybody is issued an android which is like their personal servant Mm -hmm. and occasionally these androids sort of freak out a little bit and um kill their owners and escape back to earth and so our main character is a bounty hunter for these androids right yeah well, I guess I'll, I'm going to read the questions today, so I'll jump right in here. So question one, one of the themes of the work is that animals are treated with a great deal of reverence, while androids are treated with contempt. It seems, although even man-made animals, such as Deckard's electric sheep, are treated with more respect than androids. Why are the androids looked down upon? Does the novel actually answer the question? What constitutes life in the text of the novel if electric animals are accorded some measure of respect while androids are not? So I think this has to do with like the sort of economic status of the society. So everybody that leaves Earth gets an android. So androids become ubiquitous. Everybody has one. They don't have any value because everybody has one. And animals are extremely rare because of all the damage that's happened to the planet. So they become a status symbol. And even if your animal isn't real, it's a better status symbol than um, nothing. And actually, it's hard to tell if your animal is real or not. They look and act so real and they eat and everything. And they've been programmed to have real diseases and act like real animals in every sense of the way, except for they're electric. Yeah. Yeah, and I think um, part of that rarity, too, is it's almost like um, 
you know, it's almost like winning a lottery, right? Like they're so hard to come by that the people actually really love and care for them so much. But I think it's not really like a love how like we love our pets. It's more like a love, like how much you love your expensive designer handbag. <laughs> right. Yeah. E exactly. How much you love your car. Right. Like, um, you know, like if you're a brand person, like I only buy BMW. Okay, you only buy BMW, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, um, so these questions did come from FremontGreatBooks.org, just as you know, transparency. Yeah. Okay, so question two: Why is the euphemism "retired" used to describe the killing of androids? Are the androids outlawed because they killed people on Mars? Or are they, are, are they outlawed because they return to Earth? Why aren't the people of Earth aware that androids are among them? Why are androids permitted to live with humans on colony worlds, but are not allowed to live with humans on Earth? That's so, a good question. These are all really good questions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the, the retired is, is used to describe the killing of androids because it takes any sort of humanity that you might find in the android away from it because they're not human. The issue is that they're so similar to humans that you can't tell the difference unless you do a specialized test, which is part of what this bounty hunter does. And I think it, the real reason why... Um, I don't think they're necessarily killing people on Mars. I think they're just leaving and coming to earth and it's not because they hate humans it's because they're miserable like their existence they're slaves really is terrible and they just want to have some sort of sense of humanity almost some Even, freedom yeah because they just want to live out their lives doing what they do best yeah and i don't know if it's mostly because of fear that people are on earth aren't made aware, aware of androids so that they don't want people to panic, I guess. Um, I think it's also really hard to tell if they're androids. Yeah. They blend in so well. Like, the guy was, like, uh, pretty sure that the one girl at the beginning, was it Rachel? Yes. Wasn't, wasn't an android, but then he was like, aha, you failed. Oh, at that part in the book, I was like, wait... I might be an android. Like, I was really questioning my existence. I'm like, if this is what we're using to base this on, like, God, am I real? Yeah, I was, I was thinking, oh, we're taking empathy tests to see if we're an android or not? Hmm, I feel bad for all the psychopaths in the future. They're going to just fail anyway. I guess the, the kind of thought was, well, they probably don't need to be alive either. Right, and so they, they do this test, they kill people, and then they do, like, a... Um, like a autopsy spinal, yeah. sort of thing to determine if they were really human or not. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. And, um, yeah, so, you know, you could be interacting with androids all the time on Earth. You would never know. That's, like, how good they are. It's kind of wild. And I think the real reason why they're not permitted to live with humans on Earth is because they're trying to get people to leave Earth. Yeah. Because that's the incentive, is you get an android if you leave. If you Yeah, if you leave, and they don't want people that are still here to be here. 
I don't understand, understand why they care, but yeah, it, it seemed it seemed very odd. Yeah, a lot of the books, a lot through a lot of the book, I was kind of like, wait, what's happening right now? <laughs> so it is kind of like a fever dream, a little bit. Some of it, yeah. yeah. Some of it, you're kind of like, hmm, what's happening? <laughs> oh, that's what I'm like. Hmm? Okay. <laughs> Yeah. All right. So question three. At one point in the novel, Deckard says that he is Mercer. He is talking. Is he talking literally or is he speaking metaphorically? Why does Deckard suddenly relate to Mercer at the end while he steadfastly refused to believe in him earlier in the novel? Uh, I'm going to say I don't know. I was very confused about that at the end of the book when he suddenly becomes Mercer and it it was yeah. very strange because he didn't really believe in the Mercer religion, and then suddenly he's seeing Mercer, he's talking to him, he's conversing to him. I well, like, hmm. I think um, it's important to know that they have this empathy box, right? That if you hang on to it, empathy is a big theme in the book. So you kind of feel everything Mercer feels, but you also feel everything that everybody that's touching the empathy box feels, kind of. Right. It's a it's a group experience. Right. And, and so this Mercer is like persecuted, I guess. Um, and so you're feeling his suffering, I suppose. So don't they like throw rocks at him and they stuff? Do throw and rocks at him. so I think at the end, this is all. I mean, I'm not a hundred percent sure if this is right, and I didn't read any of the discussions about the book or anything. But at the end, he was um, much more in his thoughts. Deckard was. And much more suffering because of what he did. He had more empathy towards the androids. And I just feel like it was kind of that suffering that made him connect a little bit more. But I don't know. And he wasn't anywhere near an empathy box. Mm -mm. He was just sort of out in the boonies when this was happening. And he was kind of, he was kind of having a little breakdown. Yeah. So sure. that, you know, kind of lends itself to religious hallucinations, I would think. I don't think, yeah, that makes a good point. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I'm going to go with that. Sounds about right. Yeah. All right. So, number four. Buster Friendly, Mercer's antagonist, is revealed as an android late in the novel. Ermagard Batty seems to think that Buster's main accomplishment is the debunking of the theory that humans have empathic powers, since he reveals that Mercer is a fraud. Is Ermagard correct in her assumption does Mercer represent something more than the empathic power in humans? That is a great question. That is a great question. And I'm I'm gonna say yes and no. So they they do they it's sort of like this is happening at the same time where he is having a hallucinations that he's Mercer and um Mercer is proved to be a fraud at the same time like these are coinciding together in the yeah. book which i think is where some of my confusion was happening so yes he is a fraud but no he's real yeah that kind of sums up religion to me <laughs> how i look at it right and, uh, yeah that's yeah. That's what I would go with. Yeah. Well, and I think also around this time in the novel, um, when they're talking about empathy and Mercer and Buster Friendly being an android, the androids take um, the chicken head characters. He found a spider. 
and they're oh, cutting I know they're cutting the legs off the spider to see if it can still walk with four legs right and uh-huh. this guy is like literally having a meltdown first of all because of the preciousness of animals and second of all because like who could watch that and not feel bad for the spiders but the androids don't feel bad so it was definitely a they're trying to say that humans aren't em- empathetic, but then here they are doing this horrible thing that is making a human literally melt down. Right, right. So it was very well done and very subtle, and you really have to think about um, all the different layers of that scene. I really, that was one of my favorite parts in the book. I agree. Yeah, yeah. it was. And he. He was like, oh, I finally have an animal. I finally have something to care for. Um, besides this crazy android that he's realized that probably <laughs> wants to kill him. Yeah. And it was so sad. He was so upset about it. Yeah. Oh, J.R. Isidore. That's his name. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that leads us right into question five, which is J.R. Isidore notices that the androids seem to lack human warmth, that they possess efficient mental processes but are not quite right. Deckard notices the essential coldness of the androids, but like Isidore, is somewhat um, sympathetic towards them. What do the androids lack? How is this lack conveyed in the novel? Um, Is the description of the androids believable? So I think that's kind of like what we were talking about with the spider. Right. They lack empathy towards living things other than themselves but i think it was even more than the spider too just how he was interacting with them it's strange like you know i think sometimes he questioned himself like is it because i'm slow now like am i not understanding what's going on or but i think it's just the androids in there yeah they were basically taking advantage of him and Mm -hmm. using him for their own purposes yeah because they didn't really care because he was just this living thing and they're like yeah yeah and it's funny how they kind of flipped the um switch and so there's these three androids and they have him like carrying all the stuff and you know they're sort of Mm -hmm. treating him more like the androids were treated on mars exactly Yeah. yeah Yeah, it was Poor wild. JR. I know. I liked him. <laughs> I thought he was a good character, and I really enjoyed how um, it showed what somebody on the outside of the society would look like. Like, he did a lot of world building with just very few characters. I thought so, too. It it was a very believable world, for sure. And this was a part, um, this next question that confused me a little bit, but I kind of got it more towards the end. Um, J.R. Isidore noticed that everything on Earth is slowly turning into what he calls kipple, or rubbish. If left unattended, all material things decay into kipple, a process he terms kippleization. Deckard calls the same process entropy, noticing that all life tends to break down over time. Eventually, Deckard realizes that the androids and humans are locked in a struggle of decay, each seeking to stave off entropy while acknowledging that it occurs. Is the novel effective in the portrayal of entropy and decay? Is there hope at the end of the novel that entropy can be held in check, or is everything destined to become kipple? I think the novel does do a good job of portraying the the decay and entropy of, of buildings, of everything. 
and no, there, there is nothing that can hold it in check. The whole universe will devolve into chaos. Yeah, and it's it's very evident in the lives that they lead. Um, how they have to at the very beginning they have to kind of program themselves with this brain box to make them even want to function. You know, and just everywhere they go, it's just you really can understand this, you know, this world where not even nature is taking over because of the fallout. Nothing's even really growing. It's just everything is just sort of crumbling and falling apart. It's kind of like a very hopeless sort of feeling. It is very hopeless, which is, I think, why they're pushing for people to leave Earth. Yeah. And I guess, you know... As you're looking at your whole environment falling apart around you, you've got to think, oh, I am also <laughs> falling apart. I feel like I'm falling apart One day today. I will also be kipple. <laughs> I'm totally going to be some kipple. That was the question, the big question. Am I an android? Am I a chicken head? Am I kipple? <laughs> I'm becoming kipple. Oh, so we've got our last question. Near the end of the novel, the three remaining androids remove legs from the spider. They seem to take perverse pleasure in the act. Um, oh, yeah. Maybe. Oh, there is another page. That's not the last question. Um, I just have the font really big because I'm blind. <laughs> does the act reveal their otherness? And I think, yeah, we talked about that. And it definitely, definitely does. Yeah, I, I I think they have no some sense of empathy because they yeah. they were just sort of like hmm, interesting experiment, where Jr. was just like I can't believe we're doing this, and then it has this weird thing with like graveyard that he's like oh no not again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's there is a lot of mental breakdowns in the book. He definitely was like ah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, buddy. I feel ya. <laughs> oh, Lord. Um, let's see. There is a curious doubling effect in the novel. Rachel Rosin is doubled with the form of Pre, and Deckard is doubled in the form of Mercer. Mercer and Buster are also doubled. Do these doubles reflect archetypes of good and evil? Um, live and man-made, are the doubles effective? And how do the doubles contribute to the feeling of deja vu that permeates the novel? Hmm, that's an interesting way to think about it. That is interesting. So, Rachel is the android that he thinks is probably a woman at the beginning of the novel. Mm -hmm. And her particular type of android is the exact same as Pre, who... Is one um, of the three left. She's one of the three left. She's the one that's sort of shacking up with Jr. who probably wants to kill him. Yeah. And when Deckard, he he makes the interesting choice <sighs> of having a relationship with Rachel. And then when he sees Pre, he thinks that's going to keep him from wanting to kill her, but it doesn't. So I found that an interesting choice. Yeah, and I so that means maybe it's leading more to the doubles are more um, like opposites, good and evil type characters. Um, but I think the the weird part about it, about it all is you can't really decide which one's the good one and which one's the evil one. No, <laughs> the yeah. line is very gray. It is very gray. It's yeah. Is this protagonist or is this antagonist? I'm like, well, 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so question nine, how does the post-apocalyptic atmosphere contribute to the mood of the novel? Is there any hope for humanity or androids in this world? Is the world becoming per permanently kibbleized? Oh, so that is a really good question, I think, too. So the atmosphere is definitely very bleak and very barren and very dry and it's and it's lonely well like, lo you can even like it feels like you can feel the dust just on everything mm -hmm. and it does feel like it's just gonna become a like a bag of kibble it reminds me of like an old western town <laughs> it does and i i thought it was really interesting about how they talk about moscow and I was like, oh, this was written in the 60s. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but they definitely, because the earth is so un, un, um, uninhabitable. Yeah, that it's not like, uh, it's not like they don't get along. Like, they're more. It's, yeah, pretty much those that are left standing are standing together. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it definitely feels hopeless. Like, this is it for the world. These are just the last people who don't want to give up, who don't really want to leave and start over. They're just going to finish up. And even if they can't go on living, like, he's like, oh, JR has become a chicken head, which means that he's not smart enough to be able to get married and have kids. He doesn't want to leave. He still wants to stay there. And, like, the same thing with, um, like, Decker. He's... His status is taken down while he, while he's still there retiring androids. Yeah, but he feels like his job is really important. And so even though his wife probably wanted to leave, and maybe even it sounds like he might have wanted to leave a little bit, he kind of feels this sense of duty, like he can't leave, like his well, job is important. Yeah, but once you get to a certain point of mental disability, disability you're not allowed to leave oh yeah so he was no longer eligible to leave from mars mm -hmm. because he had waited too long mm -hmm. so it was just sort of like at this point it feels like everybody that's there is going to stay there because anybody that could leave has left so it's got a big doomed feeling it does have yeah it does have that feeling too yeah. in my opinion i agree mm -hmm. i totally agree and it's not something until you start talking about it that I really thought about. But yeah, it's not just the kibble. It's not just the decay. It's this feeling of being doomed and trapped. Right. Yeah. Ugh. For being such a bleak novel, it really wasn't all that it depressing was of a really read. Good. It yeah. was good. Really, it was like, ooh, I want to read more. <laughs> so this is the final question. Which is, what is the motivation of the androids? Um, oh, it says in the movie. I didn't see the movie, so I we'll say within the, the book. Um, why do they return to Earth knowing that they are unwanted? The plot Is the plot hampered by the lack of motivation on the part of the androids? Well, Pri was talking to JR, and she says something about, like, um just because we're surrounded by people and we're on Mars doesn't mean we're less miserable. Yeah. So their motivation of leaving was because they were unhappy. And even though they did show that forward thinking to try and like change their circumstances and their life at a certain point, which is something that Deckard really hates about them. Um, they just give up and they're like, eh, 
you know, you got me. You know, it's almost right. like they don't even try. Once the jig is up, you know, they just sort of give up a little bit. Um, which is also very not human. They have no survival instincts, I guess. I feel like I'm not human then. <laughs> I'm like, it's so hard to live and take care of myself and the kids. I'm like, I can't imagine doing it without, like, a grocery store. I'd be like, no. Yeah. Tap out. Sorry. Yeah, definitely the survival <laughs> instincts and the apocalypse is going to be something, you know, very individual case-by-case basis. Why do these people try so hard? What is wrong with them? Well, and I thought what a really interesting thing about the androids in the novel was is that they're not immortal. Like, they never, it was something about cell replication. They never worked out that bug. So the mortal, the uh, androids only live about four years anyways. Right, yeah. Yeah, so it's also kind of like, oh, you know, they only had four years to live on Earth or less when they escaped, but we're going to hunt them down and kill them anyways. It seemed rather cruel when Seth's mm-hmm. revealed. Yeah. It's like you, they could just die out. Like, even if they kept just flocking to earth at some point in time they would just all be dead anyway yeah because they live so much less than humans do yeah so i don't know i mean i I think like any really good novel all the questions aren't spelled out and answered it kind of gives you that chance to kind of ponder and think about those things on your own a little bit it definitely really fits into your identity theme well um like what makes me human it was you know suppose like is the defining characteristic is empathy in this novel is that really true is that really how things are yeah and like what about the humans that lack empathy yeah which everybody has it to different varying degrees anyways you know I don't know. Oh, one thing we did forget to mention was our drink. Oh yes, yes, we have our um, our staple here on the podcast, which is a dark and stormy like our souls. So much like our souls. <laughs> I think you have the Kraken brand dark rum yeah. that I saw. Yeah. Uh, and it's just a little bit on the sweet side with the ginger beer and no lime, so we use lemon instead. Still delicious. Very delicious. Yeah, definitely. 10 out of 10 for the drink and the book. <laughs> Two thumbs up. Definitely. Do you have any parting thoughts? No, I think we pretty much covered everything, don't you? Yeah, so I downloaded this book um, from the library to, and I linked it to my Kindle account, which um, I share with my mom. Mm-hmm. And um, so my mom started reading it, and I was surprised that she was enjoying it and getting into it because she's not really a... Um, apocalypse or a sci-fi kind of person yeah so i feel like this book definitely has a broad audience that can enjoy it excellent so thank you everyone for listening yeah bye bye